Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And today is a solo episode where, uh, I don't know, I think I just need to get something off my chest and, you know, you'll have to bear with me because here's the question that I get asked the most often and I can't help by getting annoyed by it and I do apologize, you know, for, I guess, getting annoyed even though I'm allowed to get annoyed, but here's the question. I get asked all the time, Netta, are you keto? And this question annoys me. It's not keto that annoys me. It's being asked to, I guess, to identify myself by how I eat instead of by who I am. I am not how I eat. I don't identify myself as anything else but netta. So that's why I called this episode, Are You Keto? No, I'm Netta. So if you can bear with me, I'll just have a little rant about why this question annoys me. And again, I promise it isn't about keto. I've got nothing against keto. Anyway, just before I start, I wanted to invite you over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, to have a look around, watch the free videos on there, and find out for yourself why I'm not keto, but also what life after sugar is all about. Because very often the question comes up about what's the difference between keto and life after sugar, and maybe surfing around on my website might be a good idea to really get the feeling of what life after sugar is all about and what it's not about. So that's aftersugarclub.com. If you click on the podcast tab, you'll get to all of the podcast episodes. If you click on the about tab, you'll learn all about my story. And if you click on the join the program button, you'll get all the information about the Life After Sugar program. You can also come on over and hang out with me on my Facebook page, Life After Sugar, and on my Instagram account at My Life After Sugar, which is where I post, you know, Instagram pictures of what I eat, what I'm doing, and how I'm living my life after sugar. Okay, so here's a little bit of background about me and keto. So when I first stopped eating sugar and sweeteners and flour, in July 2015, it was actually just like a temporary experiment for me to try something to help my really bad digestion. And I talk about this all through the podcast, but especially in episode 9, which is called Full of Crap. (laughs) So here I was testing out this way of eating, which was basically just eating whole real foods. I'd never heard of keto, And I told some of my friends that I was cutting out sugar to help my digestion 
and one of my friends offered to lend me a book called Keto Clarity by Jimmy Moore. And I didn't know what she was talking about. I'd never heard of the term keto. And so I borrowed the book because I'm a bit of a bookworm and I read the book and that cleared it up a little bit for me. In fact, it cleared up a lot about what keto is actually about and how it started out. Now, keto for weight loss hadn't started to be a thing yet, so I wasn't even aware that keto had anything to do with weight loss. What I picked up on, in this book at least, was basically that the ketogenic diet is one of carbohydrate restriction, moderation of protein intake, and upping real food-based fats, which, with emerging scientific literature, has become to be known as a means for improving a wide range of diseases from type 2 diabetes to Alzheimer's and also epilepsy. And luckily for me, none of these applied to me, so I didn't think that keto had anything to do with me. But I was actually interested in reading up about it because looking at things from different angles and not just accepting what we believe to be true, like all the food guides, and everything the experts and the scientific studies have told us about nutrition and good health in the last 60 years, well, I was ready to question that because I could see that when I followed the Canadian Food Guide, for example, I put on weight, my digestion went haywire, and I just didn't feel good. So I started thinking, well, maybe there's something else to be done than just to follow the rules. What really stuck with me about the ketogenic diet was its therapeutic power. See, in the early 1900s, some doctors were using fasting to control seizures. But fasting only worked to reduce seizures for as long as an individual could go without eating. And for many people, when they go for a long period of time without eating, well, they feel hungry. But then, a pioneering endocrinologist from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, wondered if the same benefits could potentially be achieved by using a high-fat diet that caused a state known as ketosis in the same way as fasting did. Ketosis actually occurs when the body doesn't have sugar or glucose readily available and instead metabolizes fats into ketone bodies for energy. Well, as it turned out, the ketogenic diet worked to control seizures. Pediatricians in the Mayo Clinic at Harvard University and the Johns Hopkins Hospital started using the ketogenic diet to treat children and adults with epilepsy with promising results. It wasn't about weight loss at all. But then the ketogenic diet fell out of favor because as the story goes, doctors lost interest in that diet because of the discovery of medications to prevent seizures. And so why would anybody want to stick to a strict high-fat diet when they could just take a pill, right? But actually, as usual, if you dig back through the scientific literature, you may find that there is another much more complex explanation. It turns out that a lot of the early researchers of the ketogenic diet in the 1920s weren't collaborating and weren't mentoring younger colleagues in the use of the diet. 
And so when the doctors who discovered the ketogenic diet retired or passed away or started researching other topics, there weren't other doctors trained to administer the diet who could take over. And in addition to the rise of anti-seizure medications, the absence of collaboration and mentorship partly contributed to the loss of interest in the ketogenic diet worldwide by neurologists and hospitals. This all happened in the early 1940s, before many of the newer anti-seizure drugs were available. But even during what they call the dark ages of the ketogenic diet, physicians at the Johns Hopkins Hospital were still using it to treat a small number of patients every year. But it took the efforts of a very motivated family to push the ketogenic diet back into the spotlight. Actually, it was Jim Abrams, a prominent movie producer, and he had a son called Charlie who suffered from severe epilepsy. When researching treatments, he came across a book written by the team at Hopkins, inspiring him to seek out the ketogenic diet as treatment for Charlie. After starting the ketogenic diet, Charlie never had another seizure and was eventually able to stop all his anti-seizure medications. And since the 1990s, the use of the ketogenic diet has expanded dramatically. But this time, doctors, researchers and patients and families are working together. Young doctors are being trained in how and why to administer the ketogenic diet. And patients and families are sharing knowledge and experience through online groups and foundations. So how did the ketogenic diet get caught up in the weight loss approach? And why do people get the keto diet mixed up with life after sugar? And why do they ask me, Netta, are you keto? Well, I guess it's understandable because the keto diet does actually cut sugar. But more than that, the keto diet cuts back carbs or carbohydrates, which is one of the three macronutrients along with protein and fat. If you go to the Diet Doctor website, you'll see the explanation of the two basic types of carbs in food, starches and sugars. Starches are made up of long chains of individual glucose or sugar units that are linked together. And starchy foods generally don't taste sweet. However, starchy foods, once they're digested in the gut, are absorbed in the blood as pure glucose, which raises blood sugar levels. And this is especially true for powdered starches like flour. So bread and cereal and pasta contain flour and are absorbed pretty much like sugar in the body. But starchy foods such as white rice and potatoes also affect most people's blood sugar levels. Whereas sugars are much shorter chains compared to starches. In fact, sometimes they're just one single glucose or fructose molecule. However, in food, sugars are usually two sugar molecules linked together, such as sucrose, which is basically white sugar that contains one molecule of glucose and one molecule of fructose bound together. And refined sugars especially hit the body with a blood sugar spike really fast. 
Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't really see my food in terms of molecules or actually even in terms of macros. So that in itself is not very keto-like of me. I tend to see my foods as real whole foods or, well, not. And sugars are found in many whole foods like fruit and vegetables and nuts and seeds and dairy products as well. So in that sense, that's another difference between me and keto. Although props to keto because compared to the so-called normal daily carbohydrate intake of approximately 300 grams, like you see as a base for calculation on most nutrition labels, the ketogenic lifestyle reduces the carb intake to either what's called a strict keto lifestyle, which is 20 grams or less of net carbs, a moderate keto lifestyle, which is between 20 and 50 grams of carbs per day, and a liberal keto lifestyle, which is between 50 and 100 grams per day of carbs. And that's great, because really, your body doesn't need 300 grams of carbs, especially not carbs from added sugars. But where I differ from the keto lifestyle is that, first of all, I don't see how I eat as a lifestyle at all. It's how I eat. And also, when people tell me, oh, so you must be liberal or you must be moderate keto, and I'm like, no, my starting point isn't keto and I'm certainly not strict about anything. So all those terms, I feel, just don't apply to me whatever the number of grams of anything I eat. And because I don't measure or track them, I have no idea how many grams of carbs I actually eat. I'm pretty sure it's way under the 300 grams that I'm supposed to eat, air quotes. I also still keep fruit in my diet and enjoy it. It's just that because my taste buds have changed over the last few years of not eating sweet-tasting foods, just a tiny bit of fruit is enough to satisfy my taste buds and sometimes even to overwhelm them. So I have no problem with all fruit. I just don't need much of it. Where keto and life after sugar meat in the middle is sticking to whole real foods rather than processed and packaged foods. Because many, many processed and packaged foods contain added sugars. Real whole foods contain naturally occurring sugars. The thing is that your body processes all types of sugars in the same way. Even honey or other natural sugars like maple syrup, unfortunately, the body doesn't have some sort of red carpet treatment for those types of sugars. When they're broken down into molecules, they all break down into those simple sugars including glucose. And that's what affects your blood sugar levels and the production of insulin from your pancreas to bring down your blood sugar. And that constant spike and crash of your blood sugar and the constant production of insulin is what gets us into trouble. But the good news is that the naturally occurring sugars in whole foods also come with a whole load of other things like nutrients, and fiber and water to slow down the absorption of those sugars, whereas the vast majority of processed and packaged foods 
contain refined sugars or high fructose corn syrup and 101 other types of sugars and those types of sugars are absorbed or metabolized really, really fast in the body and that's not a good thing. I suppose one of the main differences between keto and life after sugar is that to be in a state of ketosis, which is when your body is burning fat instead of glucose for energy, you need to bring down your consumption of carbohydrates to under approximately 20 grams of net carbs per day. Because when your carbs are restricted that way, as I said, your body switches from using glucose to using fat and what's called ketone bodies for its main energy source. We tend to think that sugar is essential for the human body to function, but that's actually not true. Certainly sugar is not essential, and actually, biologically speaking, glucose is not 100% essential either. I mean, it's recognized that technically, the human body doesn't actually need any carbs at all to function. There is no minimum because carbohydrates are not actually what's known as essential to the body. Essential in nutrition and biological terms means that the body can't create it itself, whereas actually the body can create glucose without you having to eat it in carbs and food. Did you know that your body is actually capable of making glucose for any cells that need it, including the brain, even if you don't consume any carbs at all. This is because your liver can convert amino acids that are found in protein and glycerol that are found in fatty acids into glucose. And this process is known as gluconeogenesis. And this is also why when I'm asked if I'm low carb, I say no, because I know that biologically the body needs zero carbs. So by definition, if I do eat carbs, which I do, that's not low at all. I mean, it's above zero carbs, so yeah, it's not low carb. But I digress. So if you don't eat any carbs, or if you eat 20 grams of net carbs and less, then you won't die. Nothing bad will happen to you. Your body will just switch from burning glucose for energy to burning fat and ketones for energy. And the burning of fat for energy can actually come from your stored body fat. And this is why I suspect that the ketogenic diet has become so popular for weight loss. Because instead of restricting calories, you restrict carbs and let your body burn its own fat for energy. Therefore, you lose fat and you lose weight. Sounds perfect, right? Well, I suppose biologically speaking, it is perfect. But what I found when keto started being a thing is that the problem was not keto, it was people. Here I was thinking I'd found my people, kindred spirits, and I joined all these keto groups thinking, yes, at last, these are people that realize just what sugar does to your body and how much better you can feel with real foods. 
and how much more freer you can feel without always running after desserts and sweet treats. And oh my goodness, was I ever wrong. (laughs) I got into these keto groups and almost everything they were posting about was keto dessert this and keto fat bomb that and keto sweetener that other thing and all these terms that I'd seen in the diet culture. Cheating, falling off the wagon, treats, cheat day. I couldn't believe it. Then there were like these keto police as they're referred to. You know, someone would post a picture of a decent meal and then people would jump on them to say, that's not keto, there's not enough fat, you've got a carrot in there. And I was like, what's going on? The level of aggressivity in these groups just blew my mind. Now, I don't have a problem with people questioning accepted dogma or accepted beliefs. That's great. And I've really found that with keto being more mainstream, questioning the aptly named SAD, the standard American diet, has been collectively really good for us. But again, there was something in these keto groups that didn't sit right with me. And after a bit of thinking, I realized that it was because they were aiming at certain goals, just like in the diets I'd tried before. So instead of, for example, counting points, they'd be aiming for enough fats. Because in keto, in general, you need approximately 5 to 10% carbs, 70 to 80% fats, and not just any fats, but good unprocessed healthy fats, and 15 to 20% protein. So 70 to 80% fats, well, that's way more than all the low-fat approach that we've been used to over the last few decades, And that's great because biologically, your body and your brain do need healthy fats. But actually, one detail that people frequently overlook is the fact that when you initially begin a ketogenic diet and you're losing weight as a result, a significant portion of that 70 to 80% of energy from fat will actually come from burning your own body fat stores and not just from dietary sources. And you don't necessarily have to hit those values for the macros to be able to lose weight or to have more energy or to feel great. I don't think I eat 80% fat in my diet and I still lost my extra weight and I still feel fantastic six years down the line. And the whole calculation of 80% fat or so many grams of fat or protein or carbs, for me personally, just seems too OCD from my own taste. Again, I'm not saying that the whole concept of increasing our input of good healthy fats is not good. It's brilliant. And I certainly eat more fats than what's considered low fat because I know that biologically my body needs good fats. And like for most people, it doesn't react well to low fat high sugar products. It's just the tracking and the calculating and the freaking out about being kicked out of ketosis that doesn't fit my personality. And it's the same thing for testing if I'm in ketosis or not. I've actually never done it, 
partly because I don't care if I'm in ketosis or not, but also because one type of test to determine whether you're in the state of ketosis is to pee on a stick, a bit like a pregnancy test. And I have to tell you that after four years of unsuccessful attempts to fall pregnant and taking lots and lots of different pee on a stick tests that were always a disappointment for me, I vowed never to pee on a stick again. So that's the end of that for ketosis tests. But you know, we're all different. And over the years, I've seen that for some people, tracking and measuring and even weighing their food, well, that's what gives them freedom. Whereas for me, it's the opposite. And vive la différence. That's fine. The important thing, in my humble opinion, is for you to find what's right for you and not to judge yourself or others for what's right for them. Coming back to these keto groups, there was so much judgment going on and finger pointing and shaming and arguing back and forth. People weren't even having proper discussions or dialogues. They were answering each other with links to studies to disprove the other person's argument. It was crazy. And then over time, when the whole keto thing led to a whole array of keto products, a whole new world of keto sweeteners opened up for people. So you had keto versions of stevia, very often mixed up with something else like erythritol, which in itself is highly processed, even if it doesn't affect your blood sugar like regular sugar does, and xylitol. Then you've got monk fruit extract, inulin, and other types of sweeteners that, yes, it's true, don't have the same effect on the body as sugar does, but have been shown to be pretty awful for your gut health, for one thing, and especially, they keep those sweet cravings alive and don't do anything to help you change your relationship with sweeteners and the need for desserts as treats. So in all these groups, people are asking things like, oh, do you know this product, that product? They were all packaged. Or do you have keto versions of pancakes or cookies or cakes or whatever? Or they would be looking for keto grocery stores and I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, a regular grocery store in my tiny out-of-the-way town carries everything you need to be keto. Meat, fish, seafood, nuts and seeds, a little bit of fermented dairy, vegetables, some fruits if you want them. Why do you need a specialized store? And you do realize that you can eat all of these foods without being keto. I mean, I haven't ever been keto and it's never stopped me from eating all of these whole foods. And quite honestly, I don't get this whole identity thing of saying that you are keto. You may be restricting carbohydrates to the point that you're in ketosis, but what does that have to do with your identity as a person? So that's why I never say that I'm keto, because although I may or may not be in ketosis sometimes, and quite frankly, between you and me, I don't care if I am or not, that doesn't change anything about how I feel, which is great, and about who I am, 
which is netta. I also really don't enjoy the whole idea of tracking macros, counting grams of carbs, looking on labels and calculating net carbs, which is total carbs minus the fiber. I just can't get into all that stuff. You know why? Because it reminds me of the diet culture. Instead of counting calories, now everyone's counting carbs. Instead of demonizing fat, now everybody's demonizing sugar and putting fat on a pedestal. Now, I'm not saying that sugar is good. What I've been saying all through the podcast and on my website and in my Life After Sugar program is that we don't need to give sugar or any type of inanimate object any type of personality. I think we're probably far better off being slightly more objective in how we see sugar, as an example, and food in general, without labeling them as good or bad foods. Because that brings along with it a whole load of shame and guilt and all those other types of emotions that, again, I think belong in the diet culture. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. It's not healthy for me. And I'm guessing it's probably not a healthy outlook for you either. The bottom line is, I love my food way more than before because I don't have all that guilt and shame after I've eaten a so-called treat. You see what I mean? I've got all the enjoyment of yummy food and none of the backlash. It's fantastic. And this is my life after sugar. Yours is probably different, but I can tell you that mine doesn't include a whole bunch of rules people arguing with me or trying to be self-righteous, judgment, policing, fake foods, or any kind of wagon to fall off of. So this is the main reason why I'm not keto. It's got nothing to do with the therapeutic power of the ketogenic diet in and of itself. I think it's fantastic. But as Groucho Marx once said, I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. So now that I've been in several keto groups, I can safely say that I am not keto. I'm Netta. Who are you? So if you're anything like me and you want to identify yourself by who you are and not just by what you eat, and if you're looking to reduce added sugars and transform your relationship with sugar and sweet and starchy foods and break free from cravings and from this need to treat yourself with foods that make you feel sick, and if you want to break free from the whole diet mentality and vocabulary, then maybe the Life After Sugar program would be a good fit for you. Because you don't get told exactly what to eat, how much, how many carbs, what time. You get all the tools you need to make your own rules and all the guidance that you need to implement them, to think for yourself, to question and to question me as well. Yes, you get a food list that doesn't include foods or food products with added sugars. Yes, you get lots of recipe and meal ideas. 
But what you don't get is a day-by-day detailed meal plan telling you exactly what to do. Why? Because I think you've got more critical thinking skills than that. And I think that once you put them into practice, you're in a far more powerful position to decide for yourself than to have me or someone like me deciding things for you. So again, I invite you to check out my website aftersugarclub.com and to click on Join the Program to check out what the Life After Sugar program is all about and how it's different from keto. And if you've enjoyed this episode, scroll down and leave me a review. I love reading all the reviews and when I do, it warms my heart to think that this podcast is making a difference in so many lives, including yours. Thanks for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.